earnings, Elon, and some fear and greed. Here we go on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome. Got a great hour planned for you. Sit back and learn something and learn a little bit more about our team. We're going to talk about longevity today, why it matters in investment and retirement planning. Ask Annex with a question that's been getting a little bit of play lately about moving away from the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. One of the members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee tackles that. Also talking about Social Security break-even. It's a great show. As always, head to our website for more information at AnnexWealth.com. In the studio, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Here's Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, thank you, Danny. I like your lead. And of course, we'll make this show brought to you by the letter E. Lots of E things that we need to talk about. You talked about Elon and earnings, and I can talk about expensive and, of course, the economy. But let's, let's start exactly where Danny set that up and with the earnings schedule coming out. We saw a number of companies start to report last week, the financial companies, and then we saw a report uh, the earlier this week, Derek, that talked about the pressure that Tesla is under. Yeah, I mean, Tesla gets a lot of publicity. It's a, a very high beta stock. A lot of momentum investors are very interested in it. And what we're finding out from Tesla is they're going to trade profits for market power. We know the EV market's going to grow dramatically, and they believe they have a cost advantage over Ford, General Motors, and the rest. So basically, they continue to lower prices, and, and that as a result has caused their margins to decline more than analysts expected, as well as some high expenses. So they missed the earnings number and guided a little bit lower, and that caused the stock to fall fairly dramatically. You know, and of course, those price drops that you talked about, I think it's been five or six rounds, including 30% decline on the Model Y. And of course, you know, we talk about so much about uh, Elon and his brilliance. And of course, Danny, you saw, and we've been talking about Elon Musk for a long time, you saw his SpaceX project. It supposedly was still a success, but Starship, is that it, Dave? Starship. Bigger than the Saturn V. It went up. It lasted four minutes, tumbled over and over, and then what did they call it? A rapid, unscheduled disassembly. (laughs) Come on, what a spin. That's almost as good as when Gwyneth Paltrow got divorced and it was unconscious coupling or conscious uncoupling. <laughs> conscious That's what it was. Yeah. It's the same thing. That is a spin, folks. Well, so. can I get back to Tesla for a second? Uh, sure, of course. Um, you know, the one thing about Tesla, if you think about it, if you're about to buy a Tesla and you know that they've cut prices six times and you think you might sell the car down the road, you have to wonder what that residual value will be. So it, it could cause some consternation across the EV space, but it's certainly going to make it more difficult for startup companies that are hoping to take advantage of the EV boom. Companies like Lucid and Rivian and the rest. Yeah, they're going to be under pressure, no doubt about it. Let's stay with earnings. And of course, we all wanted to see how the banks did, especially in the light of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank uh, just a few weeks ago. But some of the big banks looked okay. Well, the big banks did well. They gained deposits. They do a better job of hedging interest rate risks, risks certainly better than Silicon Valley Bank did. Uh, but we've seen some of the regional powerhouses like Zion Bank Corp, Regents Financial, and Key Corp all guide lower, all, all raise some loss reserves. So, you know, the bulk of this commercial real estate downward pressure is going to hit those regional banks, and they own 67% of those loans. And so let's uh, look at sectors and in that space. And, of course, CRE, or commercial real estate, will be part of this conversation and real estate as a sector will be under pressure and next week Derek we're going to get a lot of earnings from the big tech companies right and that's going to be important because those 10 names have basically carried the advance of the S&P they've they've generated 90 percent of the gain in the S&P year to date and by that I mean Apple uh, Microsoft Amazon Meta and so on so how they report and how they guide will be important we did get one little tidbit though uh, towards the end of the week about Apple and that is that sales did fall off towards the end 
into March and continue to fall off in April. So we'll see what the guidance is there. But generally speaking, those companies are at a higher valuation than the balance of the S&P 500, which is why we've migrated more towards an equal weight strategy than a market cap There you go, strategy. equal rate, another E word. And of course, we talked about expensive and equal weight. And that's the reason why, and you've done some work here, Derek, is that when you show the earnings of the S&P 500, on the surface, it looks expensive, but... Right. Well, like as I said, when you deduct the the market caps of the top ten and the multiples there, there. So, for example, Amazon's at seventy six times earning. Meta and Apple are both north of twenty times earnings. That's significantly higher than the balance of the S and P. But they have a bigger uh, disproportionate impact because they're the largest market cap weighted companies in the index. So again, uh, stock picking, you know, picking sectors that make sense and not just chasing high market cap companies. I think is the way to go going forward. And staying with the letter E theme, the economy. Economy, of course, is going to be front and center. We're going to continue that conversation because of all of the debt ceiling debate is right in front of us, Danny. We're going to continue that conversation on the other side of the break. I forgot the other E was explosion. So well, we even exactly. worked that in nice too. Job. So folks, if we can help, head to our website. It's annexwealth.com. What we do as a fee-only fiduciary, we work for your investment. We work for your retirement planning. We work for your tax planning. We work for your estate planning. All those things all together with the deep and talented team that Annex Wealth Management brings to our clients every single day. We'd love to do it for you. Just head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. You can catch the Week in Review on Demand, Spotify at the top of the hour, in our Axiom newsletter, or wherever you get your podcast. Saturday, April 22nd, this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Going to be right back, 620 WTMJ. We're back on the show. Here's my weekly reminder to sign up for the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. Don't have to be a client for it. Uh, last week, we asked everybody that subscribes, if you're already retired, what do you know now that you really wish you would have known before you retired? And we're going to share the results of that poll next week. Hope you can join us for that. In the studio, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Also, Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, in the last segment, we really talked a lot about earnings, but we want to shift the conversation to the economy and really what the Federal Reserve has been doing. We all know that they raised rates seven times last year, twice already this year. The good news is that they are getting near the end of the rate hiking cycle. Right. I mean, that's what we think based on the data. Right now, the probability for a hike in May is at 88 percent. We had a good ISM number today, both on the purchasing manager surveys, the services and manufacturing were both above 50 for the first time in several months. So there's now a slight possibility they could raise another 25 points in June. But again, it's going to be data dependent. And many people believe that that's the economy was strong in the first quarter with Atlanta Fed saying it's going to be about 2%. But it was very warm across the country. And one wonders whether that helped to stimulate those numbers. And so again, we are at or near the end of this rate hiking cycle. And what that means is it's probably going to just pause and keep the rates there for a while as the Federal Reserve tries to wring out the excesses out of the economy. And that is really the anticipation as we head into the back half of this year that we'll have some type of slowing. The Fed's own projections show negative GDP later in the year. Right. And for the year as a whole, which means essentially they are expecting some negative quarters. And this is very similar to what Todd Voigt, our chief investment strategist, has been saying 
over and over again. He felt all along we'd have a U-shaped recovery, that absence of Fed put, where the Fed would come in and protect the markets from a sharp drawdown, that this economy is going to take some time. It got a lot of stimulus for a lot of years, and you have to wring out those excesses, and that doesn't happen overnight. So let's try to tie together two pieces. One is what we talked about in the first segment, which was earnings, and now what we're talking about is the economy. Earnings generally have a trough somewhere between six and nine months or two and three quarters before the economy gets there. And that's what we're expecting here right now with this earnings season. Consensus is around three or four percent negative growth of earnings. And that's what we're seeing right now. Right. Earnings are coming in a little better than feared. But as I mentioned earlier, Q1 may have been abnormally affected by weather. And of course, the Silicon Valley Bank thing didn't hit till the middle of March. So couldn't have had much of an impact in the quarter there either. And again, we're trying to be forward looking and not rear view mirror people. And and that's why it's all about guidance. It's all about what the probabilities are. And one way to do that is to look at relative valuations between asset classes. And we still feel that fixed income on a relative basis is cheap relative to stocks. And I, and I just I want to hit this piece again. If, of course, earnings begin to trough either in this quarter or next and then begin to ramp up at the same time the Fed has hit its peak in rate raises, it really, if you want to be forward looking, look out the windshield like you're talking about, there could be an opportunity set on the second half of the year. And if you look for earnings estimates into 2024, that's what we're seeing. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a consensus out there that the economy has nowhere to go but lower. Positioning on the part of institutional investors is very negative, very negative on the part of hedge funds. And, and, you know, sometimes the consensus is right. So we'll see how that plays out. But the one thing I would like to caution people is just because the Fed pauses doesn't mean go all in because the stock market sometimes goes up after a pause, but other times it goes down. And that's the reason why you need to go through those sectors. There are sectors that will do well in some that will not. The last piece that we would caution you to is, of course, the debt ceiling debate. And if you look back at 2011 as a playbook, there is a was certainly a defensive posture. Absolutely. I mean, right now, credit default swaps on Treasury securities are highly elevated. Uh, we know the federal government has to refund one third of its uh, outstanding debt in the next three years, and rates are significantly higher than the rate they're currently paying. So it's behoven on the part of the Fed and the federal government to try to get interest rates to move lower or else we're going to crowd out other spending that both Democrats and Republicans like. And we can get into that conversation at another time between the deficit and the debt. The point here, folks, is that there is an opportunity set. You cannot set it and forget it with all of these moving parts. Go through those portfolios and make sure that you are allocated in the correct way. If you need help, this is what we do on a daily basis. We take what you have, look, even if it's a mishmash, some here and some there, and put it together on one piece of paper and show it to you and say there could be an overweight and underweight or an opportunity in front of you. Dirk Felsky is our chief investment officer. Dave Spano, our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. There's more to come. Stick around. What is longevity, literacy, and why does it matter? Well, number one, we're living longer and it takes planning. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back to talk about that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Join us. Hey, Keith. Hey, great to be here. We are going to talk about retirement preparedness and the importance of longevity literacy. Now, I know what longevity is. I don't know that I'm supposed to be literate about it. What is longevity literacy? 
Well, I think it's an understanding of how likely you are to live, simply stated. Years ago when we were kids, it seemed like somebody who lived to 90, that was this crazy old age, right? But really interesting, how many people now live to 90? Here's a couple of quick statistics for you. If a man is alive at age 62, there's a 22% chance he'll hit 90. If a woman is 62, there's a 33% chance she'll hit 90. And this one blows me away. A couple, if they are both alive at 62, there's almost a 50-50 chance one of them will hit 90. Research piece that really piqued my interest, it came from TIAA Institute and also George Washington University about longevity literacy and retirement readiness. Apparently, we're not very good at knowing this as Americans. Right, right, right. And, and it is important, too. One big reason is that our parents' generation, if you will, was a pension generation where almost everybody had a pension, okay? And that switch, now public employees have pensions, unions people have pensions, but not we have Social Security, which usually is not enough to replace the income that you had uh, while you were working. And so people rely now on 401k plans and savings, things like that. So you kind of have to plan out how long that's going to be because it's not a, just a stream that's going to go as long as you are. And I think we're a little healthier now. So you look at the, the Mad Men generation. You know, I was watching that show. And I'm like, how do people live past 65 <laughs> right. back then? So during our financial planning process at Annex Wealth Management, we develop stress-tested plans for our clients. Many factors, income, spending, investments, tax planning, estate planning. Knowing how long we might live, that's a little tougher. So, Keith, my grandfather went to 99, mm. my dad to 88. So what do I have, late 70s? Mm. Do I carry that number in to talk? to a wealth manager? Well, we have a base assumption when people come in, and we, we build out our plans to have the, if it's a married couple, husband and wife, the man to 86, the woman to 91. That's just a base starting point. And a lot of folks say, geez, you know, kind of like, you know, your, your grandpa, they say, geez, we have all this longevity in our family, we can just build it out with a click. That's just a starting point. And one of the reasons is we want to split up the deaths so that one person has to file as a single taxpayer for a few years, and that stresses the plan a little bit. The tough thing is, is when you live longer than your money does. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, and that, that's getting back to the point of, you know, you've got to really think ahead when things are now a lump of money, if you will, like a 401k plan becomes an IRA, as opposed to a pension that you know is just going to stretch out regardless of how yeah. long you live. Does it boil down to the fact that we just plain old underestimate what we'll need for the full length of our lives? I think that's part of it. And it plays into a lot of people who want to take Social Security a little earlier than they may really be advised to, if you will. One of the things that we provide, of course, is a Social Security analysis to let people know, because you can start taking it other than in a disability situation, it's between 62 and 70. You, there's no point to wait beyond 70. It doesn't go up at all uh, beyond that. So I think that a underestimating how long you may are likely to live will lead people to take Social Security maybe a little earlier than they should. One of the things I saw was the generational differences in longevity, literacy, and retirement readiness. The boomers and the silent generation, they're better. In fact, they've got stronger longevity knowledge compared to Gen Z and Gen Y, maybe because we're closer to that time. That would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you ponder these things a little bit more. Right. You know, I've seen various articles about subjects like this. The headline of my favorite was, why the last check you write before you die should bounce. Is that a decent goal? It's a perfect goal. And to 
put it a generation further. Back when I was doing estate planning, and some folks would bring in their elderly parents to get their plans, and they say, we don't want to inherit. We want mom and dad to spend every dime that they have. You know, they earned it, blah, blah, blah. And that's a noble goal. But realistically, if you're very elderly, and all of a sudden you see your money going down to like nothing, that's going to add a lot of stress. Now, if we all knew everybody's dates of death, we could, we could plan that perfectly so that, yes, the last check bounces. But unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way. I'm not sure I want that. Yeah. L- let's pivot slightly. Let's talk about legacy. Sure. We want everybody to enjoy a wonderful retirement. But a really nice part of retirement can be setting up and ensuring a legacy for years to come and being part of that process to design and direct that legacy. That's something we do for our clients. It absolutely is. For lack of a better word, we do the consulting. We'll do the evaluation. We can look at what plan you have right now. You know, a lot of folks that come in that haven't done their plan, they did it when their kids were young. And other kids are into college or out of college, and it's completely out of date. And, you know, getting that up to date is a really important part of that process. Keith Butler is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Still to come on the show, Ask Annex. Also, a look at Annex Ignite. It might work for somebody you know. How about that? Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back in the show, and it's time for Ask Annex. Got a question for us? You head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. As always, if we can help, Get Started is the button you want to hit. Maybe hit both of them this week. In the studio, Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Matt Morris, he is Investment Team Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. First up from Harold. With more nations planning or actually moving away from the U.S. dollar, what impact does or will this have on the American consumer and your team's investment strategy? History lesson from Sarah Kyle. This is not the first time this has come up. No, it is not. And it, as Matt and I were discussing, this is kind of the uh, topic du jour, and it pops up about once every 10 years. It's getting a little more press these days, and people think it's more imminent because of the fact that, you know, just a quick history lesson on the U.S. dollar and nations trying to no longer have this as the reserve currency. So back in 2010, the BRIC nations got together and they formed a coalition. Now, the BRIC nations are Brazil, Russia, India, and China. They started this coalition to try and not have that dollar be the central bank's reserve currency. So, you know, that's been how many years ago? 23 years ago now? And it didn't fly. No, it did not fly. And, you know, it popped up about 10 years ago, and people said, well, it's not going to trade in U.S. dollars anymore, but it still is. But So why is it back in the news now? Because of the fact that more of these little small nations are starting to join the coalition. But recently, two large nations joined, and that is Mexico and Saudi Arabia. Now, that's a big deal because Saudi Arabia and the United States have an agreement, petrodollar. So they said that we'll give you all the defense that you need, but you have to make sure you trade and sell your oil in U.S. dollars. So... I don't know how that's going to play out if we have this agreement, if that's no longer there. But those are two big developments that happened in this last couple weeks that I think is bringing this more to the forefront. So it'd be a huge amount of speculation as what it will do for the American consumer. And it's way too far down the road for what we would do as an investment team. Yeah, it certainly will happen at some point in time. And there's an ebb and flow over the course of world history of having a dominant economic and military power and that their currency is the currency that the world uses. And it does ebb and flow. Every country or main country will have that time period where they're that main that main power. And again, it will come away like, you know, think of Rome. You know, eventually Rome collapsed. You know, and that's what I think people are trying to predict in this situation is when is the U.S. not the dominant power anymore? But we have to remember right now we still are. We're the largest economy in the world. We're still military dominant. We have political stability 
Now, it might not seem like that here while we're here, but when we look at the rest of the world, we, we really are. You know, when we think about, you know, how to quantify some of this stuff, you know, the U.S. dollar is still the reserve for 60% of financial assets across the world. The next closest is the euro at 20%, but the euro is an entire continent that's coming together with one currency to even get a third of the value of the U.S. dollar. And over the last 20 years, about 80% of all foreign trade was done in U.S. dollars. So we're still the big boy on the block, and it's going to be a while before that happens. From a standpoint of how the committee views it, though, it's something we monitor a lot. It's obviously really important. You know, what what are currencies doing? And where that comes into the most importance for us on a today basis is the dollar strength or dollar weakness versus baskets of other currencies. The U.S. dollar was such a strength that people went to during COVID or last year with a results of what the Fed was doing in terms of increasing interest rates that people flocked to the dollar as a source of safety and stability. And that's just another way of showing that we are the big boy on the block with that. Now we're watching to see is the dollar going to weaken? That doesn't take away from the reserve ability of the dollar, but it's a short-term ebb and flow of the U.S. dollar versus other currencies. And that's something that would maybe make international stocks do better. And that's something we're watching very closely as a committee is when to overweight international, when to overweight emerging markets, because there might be time periods that those stocks do better because the dollar weakens. But that's not taken away at all from our, our status as the currency of the world. Yeah. And I think another reason why this is a hot topic too, and what's kind of pole vaulting this, these nations that start joining the BRIC nations is the Ukraine-Russia war. U.S. went in there, they put sanctions on Russia. They also took a bunch of their assets away and they're funding the war. So that could be a cause for the, you know, like I said, the, the, the catapulting of these other little nations starting to join this coalition. Final question on Ask Annex is anonymous. Could you explain how to use Social Security break-even age calculation? My father-in-law wants to take Social Security at 62. I know he listens to this show. So now the 50,000-watt intercom to her father-in-law. Well, you know, Social Security and deciding when to take it is, you know, it's a personal decision. You really have to decide. You have to look at your health. If nobody's ever lived past 80 in your family, you know, you might want to take it earlier. If people have lived to 100, you might want to wait and take Social Security later because then your benefit is higher and it will last longer. But the break-even point basically represents when the cumulative benefits even out. So if you wait until age 70 to start taking the benefits, it would take you to about roughly age 79 to break even with the benefit amount you received if you started taking it at age 62. So to calculate this on your own, to get a rough idea, you subtract the total benefits you'd receive by starting to take Social Security at an earlier age from the benefits you'd receive at a later age. But now this is just a rough calculation because there's not cost of living adjustments in there. If you're still working, your benefit might be more. But that's basically how you get that break-even number. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Thanks. Thank you. If you're looking for an investment and retirement planning partner, Annex is a solid choice from our core offering to Annex Ignite for people just starting out. In fact, you can learn more about Annex Ignite next after a break. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? This is an Annex Ignite team segment. Joining me, Jeff Stonick, CFP, Wealth Manager and Manager of Annex Ignite. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me on today. Annex decided a long ago that financial planning and wealth management is for everyone. 
that's where Annex Ignite comes in. It's for people maybe just starting out that want to have a relationship with a firm that offers comprehensive wealth management. That is my elevator speech. How'd I do? Yeah, I would say you're spot on. Our core value here at Annex is that everyone gets a plan. We're going to talk to everyone, regardless of where you are at your stage in life. And so that's what we do at Ignite. We meet people in the beginning of their stage of life. We meet people that are 10 years from retirement. One thing that we do know is is it's probably too easy. Maybe it's intimidating. So people just put financial planning on the back burner. The opposite is true. Oh, absolutely. We all have goals in life, whether they're five-year, 10-year, 30-year goals, but you need a framework to get to that goal. So that's what our financial planning does. You know, I'm going to imagine that one of the most pressing questions for Annex Ignite clients is, are we on track? How do we help out there? Right. We're going to put everything in that they're doing currently whether it's their salary, what they're saving at work, what the employer's giving them, we'll build out that framework and the financial software will let us see where it is five years from now, 10 years, 20 years from now. And now everyone will have an idea. Now, along those ways, we're gonna coach people. If you're a saving X, we're gonna push you to save X.2, X.3, right? Through life stages, that's what we'll do for you. Let me ask you this. Who's a typical client of Annex Ignite? I know that's a really broad question. Anyone who is interested in finding out where they are, because we're going to help people. We meet people in their 20s that are aggressive and want to plan their life out for the next 45 years. And we meet people that are 50 and are like, ah, I got to do something. Yeah. First step with Annex Wealth Management is Wealth Metric. That is our free portfolio analysis. Great place to start. You talked about that a little bit before, but take us through that process a little bit more. The M1, the first meeting, we're going to get to know you. We understand your current situation. We want to know who you are, what's important to you, your family, your finances, obviously, are part of that discussion. But we gather all that data. We put it in the software. We'll look at the portfolio separate from the financial plan, but we do both. In fact, a lot of times, I think the portfolio is the thing that we would look at second bigger thing is, is what is it that you want to do? How do you want to do it? Exactly. We need to know what this portfolio needs to do for you. So before we look at where you're invested from a sector or cap market capitalization wise in your portfolio, let's figure out what these dollars are going to do for you at some point. And that's where the plan comes in. We're with Jeff Stonick, CFP, Wealth Manager and Manager of Annex Ignite. Talk a little bit about how we use technology for the Ignite clients. Well, Ignite is an on, online presence that we have for our clients. And I would say 99% of the time, it's purely we're meeting via Zoom, meeting our clients. So through those meetings, we have different software, our financial planning software, our portfolio analysis software that we share and we show the clients how they're doing, how their plan use. So then the clients, if they become clients, they'll have access to that software so they can monitor it themselves. We called that Annex Everywhere before COVID. So when COVID hit, we were able to really pivot yeah. so easily and meet with clients across the board. Financial planning and wealth management is for everybody. If somebody thinks they don't qualify, maybe they're not wealthy, that is not the case with Annex Ignite. That's not the case with Annex, period, but absolutely Annex Ignite. I mean, we give us a call. I mean, Dave says it every time in a meeting. Give us a call. We'll help you out, and that's what we'll do. You know, because I've had people actually tell me. I've talked to other people, and they won't talk to me because I don't have enough money. That's not the case here. And we've said that a long time ago, that yep. financial planning and wealth management is for everybody. Start today. Get a plan. Put that Annex Ignite team to work by going to AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Jeff Stonick is a CFP and a wealth manager and manager of Annex Ignite. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. Quick break. We're going to be back to wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. 
We are back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify and also Apple Podcasts at the top of the hour. So if you came in late, want to hear all of it. We're all over social media, especially with podcasts. Got a great one. The Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast comes from the Annex Wealth Management investment team. Monday mornings, wherever you get your podcast for that, that's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano, our president and CEO, still in the studio. Now joined by Dan Phillips, director of client learning development, CFP, and a CDFA, welcome to you. Hi, Danny. You know, just this last hour, we've had just a sample of what we do at Annex Wealth Management. We didn't talk much about estate planning, but one of the real joys, I believe, for somebody like you, Deanne, and probably you, Dave, if you're working with clients, is working with clients to really establish legacy goals while they're still here and really kind of just maybe directed and just have joy in that whole process. Yeah. So establishing and first off, figuring out what they are. Right. So when we think about estate planning, we think about after I'm gone. But a lot of people have the goals for being remembered. Really, it's what we do with it. It's not he who dies with the most. Right. So it's establishing how can we be a good steward of what we have and make a difference right now. And right now, that's really mm-hmm. the key. And, you know, our, our clients really say, all right, I want to do that. and I want to leave them something, but I want the grandkids to see it as well today. And that's part of the planning process. Absolutely it is. So establishing those goals, building them into a financial plan, figuring out uh, the basics and and the timing to those buckets. You know, we've been in situations where people have said, I've got enough for myself. How can I make a difference? I mean, Danny, we've told the story that you're very familiar with about, you know, the teacher who comes in and says, history of teachers in my family. How can I create a scholarship fund in perpetuity for kids who want to grow up and be teachers? Well, it's been a while since I told the story, may I? Sure, of course. this is the thing that Deanne and Annex really helped arrange for my dad in the last couple of years of his life. They arranged a scholarship at the small town that he grew up in in Montana to send kids off to become teachers. But and in the family name, like establish sure. this, and it was wonderful. You know what? Like, and it gave, David just gave him such great pleasure in those last couple of years. You know, uh, you are such a fan of Deanne, and because you that was your first experience, was. right? Yeah. Is when you became, I mean, obviously you were hosting the show, but you weren't a client at that right. point. Well, and you so, know, I brought him in as right, a client, right. so that was great. And you went through the process, and Deanne went through it and put it on the screen and worked through it, and it really starts with, you know, the tenets of financial planning, which is, of course, first to do a discovery, find out what people's goals are, and that's really the first step. So making sure that you pay yourself first, right? Do I have enough in retirement? Then do I have enough to give back to what's important to me? And it doesn't really matter the scope. You know, everyone really goes through that thought process. And then there's that kind of a relaxation in a way, right, Dave, that financial planning can provide you where you say, okay, I'm on track for my saving. Now, what extra can I do? And sometimes it's for, I just met with a couple who's accumulating, they've got young children, and it's about, let's super save more for their colleges. That's a family value that's important to us. So making that the next step of the goal, right? Then that's one idea. And so for sure, you know, super funding some, a 529 plan, which you can do. And a lot of people are unsure how that works, but just something as basic as a 529 plan has estate planning benefits. It definitely has estate planning, especially, you know, um, linked to the state and state credits, depending upon where you live and, and what the plan is. But, you know, virtually any goal first follows those kind of steps, you know, making sure that you've got the different um, pieces of, of appropriate tax buckets in place to fund what your goals are, and then being 
again, not to let the tax tail wag the dog, but efficient with that cash flow through and to and all the way through retirement, making sure that it not only funds it, but it's stress tested. Because a lot of people come in regardless of how much they've saved and say, hey, you know, I don't want to be a burden on my kids either. I want to be sure that my long-term care is taken care of. I can self-fund or do I need to look at other options as well? A couple of things, Deanne. One is I I walk by the conference rooms and you had someone in there uh, the other day that was in full camo and I was thinking if you were if you were doing a presentation on of course saving the family cottage yeah, this comes up all the time. We had a presentation just the other evening where somebody came up and said, it wasn't had nothing to do with it, but she said, I know you touched on estate planning. Boy, do I have a problem and launched into her. You know, I my husband inherited this cottage from his parents and grandparents, and then he died. It's supposed to go to me, and how do we follow this? There can be some very complicated, you know, go-arounds, especially legally. So you always got to go to the source, follow the documents. That's why we have three three attorneys on staff not to write law, not to draft, you know, we're not a law firm, but to sit there and help our clients with interpretation, get them on track toward their goals and help them understand these documents. That's probably how it goes, right? Somebody gets on board with us and they're having one goal taken care of, but then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, by the way, this cabin we have, or yeah. yeah. And that's part of the planning process. And folks, if you're listening to this, this is what we do. And that's the team. And the difference, of course, is the team. When we talk about know the difference, who is on the team? Are they certified financial planners? Are they lawyers? Are they CPAs? Are they PhDs? That is the depth of the team that we bring to our relationships. If you're hearing this and you want to explore that type of relationship, we do not charge for you to come in and have that initial conversation. It's worth getting a second set of eyes on it. Dan Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you for having me. Dave Spano is our president and CEO and also a CFP. I should give you that because that's no picnic. One of our younger guys working at the uh, working here is studying for that, and he says it is, it's mind-blowing. How, how? And it's good, and it teaches ethics, and it teaches lots of things, but great job of captaining the show today. Yeah, thank you. Folks, thanks for listening. We sure appreciate that. You know, for many of you, this might be the first time you've been involved in retirement planning. It's not our first time. This is your official indication. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Thanks for listening. See you next Saturday at 10 o'clock. If not, find us on Spotify. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.